Thank you. That was awesome. It's good to see you guys. I'm actually really uh, looking forward to being with you and uh, seeing how uh, church works up here in Kloof. Also, I was quite excited because summer is fast approaching and Kloof is a better place to be in summer than Durban. Uh, If they had asked me to come in July, I would have said no. It's far too cold for a Durbanite, but uh, I'm looking forward to the next couple months with you. We are going to be continuing our series uh, called Like Father, and obviously the whole idea is like father, like son, and the point is that uh, we get to know God as a father, and we get to define ourselves in relationship to Him. That's primarily how we see ourselves, as uh, sons of God. And so there's two concepts here. Number one, um, when you think of God, uh, if the first thing that comes to your mind isn't father, then we need to shift that, because when Jesus came, He came to reveal the Father, and He came to bring us to the Father. In the Old Testament, there's a whole bunch of different names for God. I think about 13 different names for God. So Jehovah Jireh, one of the most commonly known ones, the Lord my provider, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace, Jehovah Sidikeno, or something. I can say anything. You wouldn't know if I was right or wrong. Um, The Lord is my righteousness. But the the interesting thing is that when you study theology, each name of God describes something of who he is. A a name is a description of a person. And when Jesus comes, he says, you've known God as all these different names, but I come to bring you a new name, Father. And so when you think of God as a father, you're thinking about him in the pure essence of who he is. In fact, the Bible speaks of the fact that that God was the father of Jesus even before the creation. So there's something in the father heart of God and the fatherhood of God that's been recreated in the creation of earth uh, with fathers that reflect who he is. And so we need to know God as a father because it's who he is. The second thing is we need to see ourselves as sons. And that's everyone, men and women, we're all sons of God. Now, the new translations say sons and daughters or children, but the Greek is very clear that we are all sons of God. So this is, gets, it takes some while to get your head around, but when I got saved, I found out that I became a part of the bride of Christ, which is a little weird for me, like as a bloke, like I had to get my head around that, but it describes a relationship of intimacy and betrothal and, uh, and, and uh, being separated unto each other, exclusivity. That's why it's there. And this whole idea of sons, we're all sons, describes a relationship. And in the ancient world, when the New Testament was written, uh, daughters wouldn't inherit. Only sons would inherit. And so Paul said, you're all sons. Doesn't matter if you're male or female, uh, slave or free, rich, poor. Doesn't matter what your background is. You're all sons. You all have equal gifting, equal authority, equal place and an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so we need to understand uh, what this means for us. And so that's the journey of the series. Uh, Today I'm going to be speaking about uh, the prodigals. Because when I grew up in church, it was the parable of the prodigal son. One son, but there's actually two sons. It's right there in the first verse. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. And it's strange to me that anyone grew up in Sunday school, and you heard the parable of the prodigal son, and they all told us not to be naughty, basically. <laughs> Don't be naughty. We're really worried about this naughty thing. Uh, but it's actually, the, the parable doesn't end there. It's a parable of two sons. One's naughty, one's good. Both don't have a relationship with the father. And, uh, and so both are lost, and both need to come home. And so that's what we're going to get into. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I have a dad, and I've got two brothers. So there's three of us, uh, three boys. And um, if I had to go to my dad and say, hey, dad, I want my share of my inheritance now. 
that would be fairly insulting. Because that would be saying, I can't wait for you to die before I get what I think is mine. So can you just give it to me now, and then I'm going to push off, because I don't want to be here anymore. He's basically saying to his father, Dad, I can't wait for you to die, but I want your stuff. And so the amazing thing is that his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. He said, okay, if that's what you want, I'll do that. Verse 13, a few days later, his younger son packed. How awkward must those few days must have been? Because I never saw that before, right? Like I, I skimmed over that, and every now and again I see new things in the Bible. I was like, that must have been a really awkward dinner conversation, you know, at the end of the day. A few days later, his younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. The younger son's basically going, I don't want to be in relationship with the father. I don't want the restrictions of this house. Give me your money, and then I'm going to go and have a jewel. And he says he wasted his money in wild living. One of the lessons of this uh, text is that anytime we're out of, the re- out of relationship with the father, we must replace it with something. Because God is a father and he made us to be sons, we have to, our meaning, our identity, our value, our our hearts, our whole being only works when we're in relationship with the father. And when that connection is severed, we replace it with something else. And this son replaces it with wild living. Now, wild living is made up of three primary types of wild living or three primary types of sin. It's, uh, sin is when you find your meaning, your identity apart from God uh, and you, you live to, to, in a sense, uh, live for yourself rather than living for the Father. And so these three things are a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see or materialism, or pride in our achievements and possessions. Where do I get that from? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. It says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when, the love, for when you love the world, you do not have the, the love of the Father in you. Interesting point is you either love the world or you love the Father. You can't love both. So he's saying there's a dichotomy. You can love two children the same, or in my case, three sons the same. It took some convincing, but apparently it's possible to love three kids the same. And, um, but you can't love the father and the world. It's an either-or thing. And so what he's saying, he says, do not love this world nor the things of the world, because if you love the world, the love of the father isn't in you. And so when you love the things of the world, it, it kills your love for the father. For the world only offers these three things, only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. All sin can be watered down into one of these three things. Pleasure. At some point in life, we know that stuff can feel good. And we're like, I want more of that. That's what my life's going to be about. Uh, And uh, you can imagine the sun having uh, wild living, having parties, um, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all those sorts of things. Sex in marriage is a good pleasure. Sex anywhere is a destructive thing. Drugs in marriage is not helpful. Um, <laughs> at some point, the analogy stops. Um, and so you can imagine the son going, I'm just going to go have as much of that pleasure as I can. And uh, so many of us have lived those seasons of life. Then uh, craving for everything we see, it's called materialism. It's like when the son rocked up in the new town, he didn't go and rent a little like bachelor pad. He rented a condo because he wanted to impress people. He didn't just go and buy like a new like Hyundai i10 because he could afford it. He went and bought like a really 
nice car. He, he, he wanted to impress people by what he owned. It's materialism. Stuff is nice. I want more of it. And then pride in our achievements and possessions. Again, he wouldn't have rocked up and said, actually, I got all this money from daddy. He would have said, I'm a land baron. He would have th- said things like, dropped things like hedge fund manager. I don't even know what that is. It's not gardening. Um, he, would have, he would have impressed people, and people live this way. Look at my career. Look at my home. Look at my family, even. That's a good thing, but when it's to impress other people because you don't find your identity in relation with the Father, so, so you've got to look at something I've done to find that. And so people live this way where they, they lose themselves to their careers, and it's about uh, building up their wealth and their status and all these sorts of things. This is all the world has to offer us. The problem is, it says, do not love, it says, when you love these things, they fade away. They fade away. The love of these things will fade. The problem is with these things is, even as we're using them, even as we're enjoying them, they're fading. And so we go through this thing where, well, maybe it's pleasure. If I get pleasure, then I'm going to be happy. And then you get pleasure, and you're happy for a while sometimes, and then it starts to fade. And so you think, well, maybe it's the next thing. Maybe if I I get a girlfriend, and then you get a girlfriend, and then that fades. Maybe if I get a different type of girlfriend... Or another girlfriend, but that's trickier because that complicates your life. Um, and then you go down that road, or maybe if I get married, or maybe if I have kids, or maybe if I get the promotion, or maybe if I buy the holiday home, or maybe if I... And so you're always looking to the next thing to satisfy because even as you're enjoying it, it's fading. And people live this way, and they, they keep on looking to the next thing, but this world is fading away and everything that is in it is fading away. And my question to you this morning is, when you're not in relationship with a father, when you're not connected to him, when you're not enjoying him, what is your drug of choice? What's the stuff that fills your thinking? What, is it a pleasure maybe when, when you know you're not connecting to God and then there's, you try and fill your heart with a pleasure or maybe it's materialism, you know, just like, Online shopping, it's so easy now. Wait for that box to arrive. And it arrives and it's cool for a little bit. And then online shopping and it gets expensive. Or maybe it's your career. Maybe you're thinking, man, if this had to happen to me or if I got this promotion and you dream about a day when you're not stuck in your current reality and all your gifts and and people would think, look at what you've achieved with your life. What's your drug of choice? Because we all have one. When we're not in the Father, we're going to fill it with something. You know, we, we drive past uh, so often, and certainly where I live, street kids, and you often see them sniffing glue. And, and uh, you know, as a person who looks at them, it's like, I can understand why you do that. Like, if I was in your situation, I'd probably do the same thing to escape the pain of my circumstances. You can have compassion for that. But when people aren't in relationship with the Father, they don't sniff glue. They just fill it with pleasure and materialism and pride in their achievements. They're no different. And you do that to numb the pain of not being in relationship with God your Father because you're made for it. And your heart will break if you don't have it. And we have so much, sometimes, you know, we can understand the street kids, but sometimes persons just a really successful, driven, career person that's actually just numbing the pain of not being in a relationship with a father by 
a career rather than glue. I know that's intense, but I want you to understand that at the heart of who you are is you're made to be loved by God. About the the, the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. That's a little inconvenient. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. You've got to understand that for a good Jewish lad, this is a problem. And Jesus chooses pigs to describe the way this person has fallen. Can you imagine the hearers? I mean, for us, like pigs is associated with bacon and gammon and wonderful things. But for Jewish people, it's, it's a terrible place to end up. And it says, and the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He's coming to the end of himself. And sometimes the kindest thing that happens to us is we come to the end of ourselves. And in that space, we realize, man, this thing which I placed my value in, I thought pleasure was going to make me happy, and it didn't. Or I think career, or I thought this was going to fill my life. And and then you break up, or you lose that friendship, or you get retrenched, or the economy turns and everything you've worked for comes to an end and you feel like your life is ending but actually the kindest thing that happens is you come to the end of yourself and the reason that happens is because our confidence was in that which faded and it's just faded and all our trying to control it and trying to control that relationship and trying to control the career and trying to control the outcome of this stuff all of our own effort has failed us and suddenly we primed to, to lay hold of that which never fades. The father that never fades, that never diminishes, that never yields, that never lets up or lets go. The one that's permanent and faithful and immovable. And no matter what happens in our circumstance, he will never fade. He will always love us. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Notice that it's the hunger of the son, not because he missed his father that took him home. He wasn't sitting there going, man, I miss my dad. He's actually just going, I'm hungry and I'm desperate. God doesn't mind what state you arrive home in. He's just glad you're home. And he hatches a plan. He says, man, I'm going to go home. and I'm going to say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like a hired servant. He comes home, a sense, to be a slave. And he, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father is watching for sons and daughters to come over the hills of this life. The hills of their own failed attempts to make themselves a laugh or make a way for themselves. He's waiting for people to come home. And as he sees his son, his son he, he, he's filled with love and compassion, not judgment. And oh, finally, you came home. Oh, you made enough of a mess of your life. Now you're going to come back. 
The father's filled with love and compassion. He runs to his son. He embraces him and he kisses him. You know, so many of us, we, 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 we live in this reality of God loves me, but I think at some level, sometimes we're uncomfortable with the kind of compassion and affection the Father shows towards us. There's a, a verse in, uh, in some, one of the Psalms in, where it says God rejoices over us, but if you dig into the Hebrew, it literally means that God spins around over us like He does a twirly dance of joy and excitement over our lives because He is so in love with us. And for so many of us, we actually, we go, God, I know, oh, I know you love me, but we're actually uncomfortable with the kind of love and affection and compassion He embraced, He kissed. I have this uh, friend. I've been friends with him for many years, 20 years now. When we got to know each other, I was 18, he was 30, and he's like not a hugger, and I am. So that was awesome. And, uh, and he grew up in a house where he had a wonderful relationship with his dad, but he only ever shook his dad, dad's hand. Never hugged his dad, ever. Only ever shook his dad, loved his dad. But like, so I would like, come and I'd see him, and I'd give him a big hug, and he'd go like this. He'd go like, Because he's uncomfortable with that. So you know what I did? Like, I just hugged him every chance I got. I was like, I'm going to break down these walls. And now, now we hug. And, and obviously, if someone shows you affection and you, know, and you don't want it, it's called harassment. Um, <laughs> is it possible that maybe sometimes in our relationship with God, we're, we're that person who, when God lavishes love on us, we... We have this kind of polite distance because we're uncomfortable with how much God loves us. Because so often we go, God, I want to understand your love more, but it looks a lot like a father that runs and embraces and kisses. And maybe the problem with receiving God's love is that we're uncomfortable with receiving it rather than he's uncomfortable with showing it. Because sometimes we just don't think we're worthy, much like this younger son. His son said to him, he said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. He delivers the speech. But his father said to his servants, notice that the father doesn't even respond to the son's speech. He's basically saying, Father, I'm not good enough to be your son. But the Father's going, I've already communicated to you by running, by embracing, by kissing, love and compassion shown over your life. The Father has already communicated to us by sending his son to a cross. He said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. What is going on here? It's like the makeover show. You know, he starts, he comes home, he's got some rags. Notice he says, bring the finest robe in the house. He doesn't say, okay, well, go shop, buy a robe there from Mr. Price to cover these rags. But if he really does well at being a son over the next three to six months, then like we'll talk about Woolworths, but not like Studio W, like the other section. And then if he does better, then maybe Studio W, then maybe Country Road. Look at those, that's a Country Road son. That's a Mr. Price son. No. Bring the finest robe. First day back home. Put a ring on his finger. A, a ring. So firstly, a robe is a symbol of 
authority and standing, much like Jacob gave a fine robe to, a special robe to his son Joseph because he was his favorite son. He's got a special robe for each of us. And he said, put a ring on his finger. The ring on his finger was much like a credit card because you could go into town, you could buy goods, and you could uh, impress it on clay. They used to do it with their, their, their rings. And then at the end of the month or the end of the week or whatever it was, the shop owner would come to the father and go, he has all the receipts. Can you please pay me now? You know? He was given access to his inheritance. Remember what he had squandered? There's more from the father. He didn't run out. And then sandals for his feet. Slaves were barefoot, but sons had sandals. He restores them fully as a son. He says, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. What's going on here? God is not a vegan. I'm joking. I'm joking. That's not the point. If you are a vegan, you're so welcome here. It's just, it was a cheap joke. I'm sorry. But he says, let's have a party. Let's have a party. And let me tell you, no one's ever partied with quinoa anything, you know? It's, uh, it's got to be shishinyama. There's like steaks on the fire. We're going to have a celebration. My son is home. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. There's a celebration. Of course, the Bible says that every time one sinner comes home, there was a party. You know, there was a party in heaven with your name on. Heaven knows your name because like, there was a celebration for you. There was a, there was a party. Like, there was an angel out on his time. He came back and said, what's the party for? He said, ah, Nick's home. What? Nick's party. Woo! There was a party for you in heaven when you gave your life to Jesus. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He was, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father's killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And his brother said, that is so awesome. I've missed Charles so much. Charlie, my boy. Dad and I have been worried about you. Joking. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, and he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He is livid. He is angry. Note, he's angry at his brother. How come this guy has come back and, and he's already been celebrated? But mostly he's angry with the father because the father is celebrating his brother and he's going, I'm the one that's been slaving. I'm the one that's been working. How come he gets the party and I... He's angry because his value system... God has messed with his value system. The father's messed with his value system. And his value system was based on behavior and performance. And so he says, well, look at the, his performance, my brother's performance. Taking your money, squandering on prostitutes. Look at mine all these years. I've slaved for you. Note that the younger brother came home. He said, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hearts. Make me a slave. The younger son came home to be a slave. The older brother is one. 
The father didn't make him a slave. He made himself a slave by a mentality, adopt, mentality that he had adopted, a way of thinking about the father and his blessing. And the, younger, the older brother's situation is far more precarious than the, younger, than the younger brother because the younger brother, when he took the money and he left, he knew he was out of relationship with the father. And so he knew he had to return home. The older brother thinks he's in relationship with the father, but isn't. Maybe there's aspects of your thinking today where you think you're in, in relationship with the father, but you're not. And you're living like a slave and not a son. See, a slave mentality is defined by blessing as a result of my performance. The younger son, my brother disqualified himself, so he can't be blessed. I've qualified myself, I should be blessed. You never even gave me a young goat. Where's my blessing? And I see so many Christians going through this journey. They come home like the younger brother. They get saved and they get gloriously uh, uh, come into relation with God and they fall in love with Him and then they throw themselves into church and into serving and they're reading their Bibles and they're praying and fast track five years, six years, seven years, something happens. Maybe they burn out from over committing or maybe they just get burnt. There's broken relationship and all of a sudden they start to get to, God, how come? God, God, I've served you for so many years. Where is my young... How come, God, my life turned out this way? And God, that person's been saved for like six months and they're getting married and I'm pretty sure they're dodgier than me. How come them and not me? And God, you've blessed them with that promotion and you've blessed them with finances and I'm pretty sure I'm more generous than them. How come them and not me? God, how is this working? Because in that way, what you're saying is the blessing of God is a direct relation to my faithfulness rather than his generosity and faithfulness. I earn his blessing. If you earn anything, you are an employee or a slave, not a son. Ever found yourself in, a, in this situation where Maybe you've struggled with a pattern of sin or maybe a pattern of behavior. Maybe like you lose your cool or you, you get emotionally withdrawn, you sulk or you get stuck in a sin pattern, whatever it is. And when you find yourself messing up again, you, you have this thought, this is why God can't bless me. Ever? Can you put your hands up? No, I'm joking. A couple of us. What you've said is, well, I haven't done quite enough to earn his blessing. And here's the point, is if you can disqualify yourself from blessing, then you have to qualify yourself for blessing. And if you have to qualify yourself for blessing, and you do it by your behavior, you're trying to earn his blessing, and you're a slave, not a son. And you think you're in relation with the father, but you're actually not. And here's the thing, is the, the, the older brother still wanted the father's things, not the father. Look at what his dad says to him. His father said to him, Look, dear son. Notice the compassion and the tenderness of the father for his son that just accused him of being unjust. 
And we're so used to the idea of God the Father throwing love and compassion and grace on sinners that return home. But I'm here to tell you today that God the Father will, will uh, throw love and compassion and grace on self-righteous slaves who try to earn his blessing when they come home. People who think they've got to be good enough for him. And, and he says to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. The father appeals to relationship, whereas the son appealed to, look at what I've done. I've worked for you. Now I want your stuff. The father says, hey, I thought apparently you were doing this for me, but I thought you were doing this with me. We got to farm together. We got to build the kingdom together. We got to uh, sow into that business together. I thought we were doing this together, but apparently you're doing it for me. And then he says this curious line, and everything I have is yours. To which I go, really? Everything. I'm asking this question today, is everything God has yours because you're his son? Everything. So we're going to get slightly charismatic this morning. I don't expect like full, like city charismania, just like suburban charismatics will be fun. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Say yes. yes. And through Christ our amen. Say amen. amen. Ascends to God for his glory. Notice it says, it says all of God's promises. In the Bible there's like a few thousand promises. And the way it works in the Old Testament is the promises of God were for the righteous. But in the New Testament, we are righteous because of Christ. So all the promises of God are for us. That's why he says all the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. So God looks at us and his promises and says yes. And we look back and go amen, which means okay, so be it. God's promises are yes in Christ. And we go amen, I agree with you. Next verse, Ephesians 1 verse 3. It's not 30. There's not even 30 verses in that chapter. I made a mistake. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, say every, every. spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. It's not like he blesses us with like the God and varieties, spiritual blessings in the beginning. And as we grow and mature, like then there's some more that we get to. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Last verse. By his divine power, God has given us everything. Say everything. We need for living a godly life. We have received all. Say all. Are you seeing a pattern here? And the reason I gave you three verses and not one, because if I just gave you one verse, you'd say, well, what's the context there? Well, what does that word all actually mean? Or every actually mean? Let me go into the Greek and find reasons why this might not be true for me. So now you've got three verses you've got to go and have that conversation with. There's a theme in Scripture. All I have is yours. So how come we live in this space so often where we, A, we can't believe that's true, and B, we're just like, what's going on here, God? How come I'm not living in that reality? How come it just feels like, man, I'm doing my best, but this is so tough. Romans 4, 13 to 14. Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham. So now he's dealing with the example of a single man's promise. And his descendants 
was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. It's not based on my performance. That's what the law is, where your performance is evaluated. You've got a performance metric. But by a right relationship, by being a son, with God that comes by faith. God, I believe in Jesus Christ. Now you're my son. And that's how the promises extend. If God's promises is only for those who obey the law, if God's promises are only for those who are really, really good, spiritual, obedient Christians, then faith is not necessary. And the promise is pointless. God spoke this to me quite recently. Because I was in that stage of God saying, God, how come? I know the promises you've given me, and I know the... How come? I'm just... It doesn't feel like I can enter in. And God took me to this verse, and I realized because I was trying to perform my way into blessing, I was making his promises pointless for my life. God went, here's a promise, my son. And I said, okay, Father, I'm going to be a really good Christian. And when I'm mature enough, and when I'm uh, showing myself faithful enough, then you're going to be able to... And I made God's promise pointless. Another translation of the Greek is you make the promises of God null or void. It's as if God didn't give that promise to me because I try to earn it like a slave rather than receive it like a son. You can only receive an inheritance. If you earn it, it's payment. And this is the journey, is on the one hand, we live our lives like the younger son, where when we're not in relationship, we're not relationally connected with the father, we find ourselves in cycles of pleasure and cycles of materialism and cycles of, of trying to prove that my life's something, pride in my achievements. And then sometimes we come home to the father and then we try to earn his blessing and we find ourselves in cycles of slavery and not sonship. And God invites both groups of people to repent, come home, and say, Father, I'm coming home. Everything you have is yours. I get to do my life with you, in relationship with you, because that is my primary inheritance. I'm relationally connected. And I want you more than I want your stuff. And you made me for this because you made me to be a son of yours. To be in deep, intimate, relational connection with you. And all life and all godliness and all meaning and all purpose flows from that space. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that you, you've made us to be sons made us to be relationally connected to you. And Father, I pray for those of us who are stuck in cycles of wild living, God, we, we try and find meaning and, and purpose in, in pleasure or materialism or pride in our achievements. And for those of us who are stuck in religion and performance where we try and earn your blessing, God, I pray for both of us that we can just repent and come home. If that's you this morning, if you want to say, Father, I want to come home this morning, I want to return to a relationship with you and just receive your relationship and receive your blessing this morning through faith. If that's you this morning, can you just slip up your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
and He loves you. Your Father loves you. He's waiting for you to come over the hill of your own life and, and he's waiting for you on the, on the veranda of his home and he's running to you and throwing his arms around you. If that's you, can you just raise your hand saying, Father, I want to come home. I want to know your intimacy and your love. Thank you. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer this morning. You can pray this for yourself in your own heart. Father, this morning I'm coming home. Forgive me for my wild living. And forgive me for my performance. Performance-based mentality where I live as a slave and not a son. Father, I pray that I'd feel your embrace over my life. I thank you that you love me. Father, forgive me. Wash away my son. I love you. And Father, I pray for those people that they know your goodness and your love and your affection in deep and unusual ways. And God, I pray for all of us, God, for aspects of our life where we find our sense of meaning in things other than you. And Father God, you just heal that part of us and bring us to the freedom of our inheritance in Jesus.